Officers, my client would be happy to schedule a sit-down, but clearly this is not the time, given the circumstance. Well, see, I gotta push back on you there, Mr. Uh... Graves, Esquire. I represent the family. Well, Mr. Graves, we've got one state trooper dead, with the suspect on the loose considered armed and dangerous, so there is considerable exigency to the circumstances. Hey, Mrs. Lyon, it's good to see you again, Mrs. Lyon. That's not accurate. Uh, well, first of all, I recognize you. And second, we pulled the security tape from the gas and goal, so it's, it's clear you were there. And for the record, that's, that's just reality. With all due respect, we've got our own reality. I'm Madeline, and I'm a writer and a cultural critic. I'm Dave. I'm a comedian and actor. And welcome to Genre Reveal Party, where we talk about TV and movies through the lens of genre, its definition, its limits, and what we can learn by exploding them. Each episode, one of us chooses a TV show or movie to discuss with spoilers, because we don't need you to have watched The Thing to enjoy the podcast. We are rounding out season two, I believe our second to last episode mm -hmm. here pending potential bonus episodes which will hold off in case they don't happen season is called we don't need another hero today we're talking about fargo season five with previous guest of the show friend of the show family of the show <laughs> kyle lane mckinley hi kyle hi dave hi madeline hi kyle how are you i'm good i'm i'm in, I'm in the basement which is where I spend all my days. Well, thanks yeah. for joining us from the yeah. basement. Yeah, yeah. I lock him there. Kind of a, kind of a, yeah, kind of a Fargo, uh, yeah, uh, foreshadowing there. Not, not it's, yeah. yeah, it's like a root cellar thing. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. chained to the floor You're here. Ch chained yeah. up. I feel, like, yeah. I feel like this, this discussion even deserves even more so than, uh, than, than revealing. You know, the, the, that there's a might be a spoiler alert that it's like uh, needs a content warning. You know. There's like yeah, there's some that's pretty true. intense kinds of violence, sexual violence, not actual, I guess, sex, but the implication of sexual violence. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, a lot of the episodes end with if you or someone you know is experiencing domestic abuse, right. here are all the websites and hotlines, which I'm always, I don't know, I'm, I'm always like a little bit skeptical of. I'm like, does this help? But I guess it doesn't hurt. So. It so, doesn't hurt. Um, yeah. It doesn't hurt. Yeah. But before we do that, I'm just going to do a little attempt at at summarizing the show for those who haven't watched. But actually, I was thinking, Dave, more than most things we've discussed, I kind of think someone should watch this before listening. Or I recommend watching it without knowing what happens. I'm usually yes, not unless a... that will keep us from getting more listeners, in which case okay, totally. don't worry about it and just listen to the show. Okay. But just like pause, go watch 10 episodes of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now welcome back. So yeah, yeah, yeah. like every season of FX's Fargo, this is a limited series that takes place at some point in the narrative world of Fargo, the night Fargo the 1996 Coen Brothers film. I promise I won't do an accent, Dave. This it's okay, season, you can. 
Well, we did enough last episode. <laughs> I thought about opening with an Anna Delvey accent oh, this episode. Too. <laughs> um, so this season takes place in 2019 and it brings together several key political entities of today. Um, just to name a few Christian right, Christian right militia, lean in feminism, the state, the deep state, um, mm-hmm. The orange guy, just to name Wait, a Did few. the deep yeah. state get a, a Minnesota accent there? The deep state? Well, that... I'm just, it's the impression of, <laughs> of, of those who speak of the deep state. Oh, mm-hmm. I see. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the Informed QAnon. Them. I see. Folk. Anyways, it unfolds as a conflict between those entities and ideologies of debt, private property, the law, redemption, gender, family, and much more. And I started watching this and quickly realized I was like feeling really bad one day and watched watched this from bed. I think I watched six episodes and then that night could think of nothing I wanted to do more than to just go back to the first episode and rewatch them with Kyle and talk about it. I think it's a great um, show to talk about and have an ongoing dialogue around. Um, Which, by the way, though, I don't think this is a... This is one of those, if you're feeling bad, here's something to stew in that and make you feel worse, not lift your spirits and make you feel better situations. I don't think that's true. I actually found it super inspiring. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I take it back then. Never mind, never I mind. I was all about the tiger. Um, okay, okay. Feeling myself a caged tiger <laughs> that day. Uh, we'll get into that, but um, let's see. I also wanted to have this as a kind of opportunity to keep talking about a question we explored last season with a serious man, which is what does it mean to be Cohen-esque? Is Cohen-esque a genre? Is it a cluster of genres? Um, how do we, how do we describe that? And the whole, every season of Fargo is really interesting in the way that it's adapting a narrative world from that from that film. It's not a sequel. It's not a prequel. It's not, um, there's not a linear narrative that it's constructing. In fact, it's like a completely non-linear narrative, but it's all kind of refracting off of and working with and filled with Easter eggs from Fargo. Um, and And even other parts of, at least uh, this is the only season I've seen, but this also had, uh, other parts of Cohen, Filmography. Yeah, no, it, yeah. it's it really is about the Cohen-esque even more than Fargo, even but it is kind of in some way located in that narrative world. Um, and so I'm I'm interested in it also as a genre of adaptation. I think it's a really interesting um, in a genre of franchise or something like that. Right. In a mm-hmm, world where we're mm-hmm. there's so many of those, but they all do seem to be bound to these very exhaustively complicated chronologies, right? Um, and this does away with that completely. It's a, it's a totally different version of what you know a genre adaptation or a, a series adaptation looks like. So, well, I, I mean, to can I add it? I would say that like the 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 main driver of that in the the cultural industry today isn't so much like that that yeah. I mean, you're right that there's like these these intense timelines and sort of like. Uh, uh, uh like the development of those universes for fans involves all this sort of like super detail oriented kinds of, of of knowledge 
but I think the primary driver tends to, to be the IP element, right? Yeah, like that, it is like, intellectual property, and the Cohen brothers are the executive producers of this. And you know, yet, this is a world where there, like, that there isn't, there doesn't seem to be any intellectual. It's not like there's like a, you know, there's no like, like intellectual property to these characters, right? They're like they're sort of mm-hmm. uh, like you know nominally based on on real life people you know there's a sort of like there's these there's these truth claims involved in things but they're not there's not you know other than the the fact that it 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 shares the name Fargo with the 1996 film this isn't a a world that relies on the you know on the kind of intellectual property of the Marvel universe these other kinds of ways that right the, right. the industries totally. have spun off like you know new and different kinds of uh yeah spin spun prequels and things Okay, totally. So, but in terms of the setup, I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay, cool. Let's chat as we are already chatting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I screwed up. I didn't realize that's what we weren't, weren't what we were doing. No, no, no. You, you're good. You're perfect. It's totally fine. Dave, you have not watched any of the Fargo shows what was your impression of this what were you expecting when you went in did you know anything really about that this was the only season I've seen I was aware I wasn't sure that it was season four but I guess you confirmed for me that season four was the like Chris Rock season Mm -hmm. there was some season that like had Kansas City in it maybe Mm -hmm. that wasn't like uh, so I knew there was, and so, so these, like, I have no idea how much overlap they might all be the same other season, but there was a, some sort of mafia season. That I was think. season four. That- okay. So maybe everything I've, uh, yeah, I auditioned for a, like one of those like two line parts mm-hmm. in one of the se- cause they cast Fargo in Chicago or at least did. I don't know if they did for season five. So obviously did not show up in in any of those seasons, did not uh, get the part. But this so I I expected a sort of prestige. I knew that it was the kind of thing that like, you know, I knew John Hamm was in it. Mm -hmm. I had to look up uh, Juno Temple Mm -hmm. and like haven't really seen other Juno Temple stuff, but was like, you know, was aware that it's like a prestige actor drawing series mm-hmm. and didn't know I I was a little bit surprised to hear that the seasons were completely disconnected mm-hmm. from each other. Um so that was that made watching this I didn't feel as much guilt for not having seen the previous four seasons, but Oh yeah, it's um, totally unnecessary. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I really had a blast. It was really wild and intense i was very skeptical at first because it felt like they were good like and by at first i mean literally like the first like 10 minutes maybe Mm -hmm. where the accents were very over the top Mm -hmm. which later intentionally like figures into the drama but then and and it felt like they were maybe trying to attempt some of that like coen brothers humor that just like really minutely observed sort of like repeating phrases. Um, The prep I did for this other than watching the season was I did rewatch Fargo, the movie uh, in the middle of watching this. And Mm. also speaking of a serious man, they mention embers in 
Fargo. So it must just be like such a Minnesota, like mm-hmm. going to Embers thing. But uh, yeah, well, let me let me land the plane here. It, <laughs> it quickly it quickly went out of that like attempted comedy. And once it got mm-hmm. really serious is when I was like, okay, I'm on board. When it got like dark, when it got horror, when it mm-hmm. got thriller, I was like, okay, now let we're cooking. That's when I fuck with it. And then the last episode really, really f- frustrated me, but I'm sure we'll, we'll talk we'll about it. We'll get that. into it. It yeah. does have Terminator 2 vibes. And we had talked about Oh, yeah, sure, but pretty sure, quickly sure. into the first episode, we realized that this housewife mother dot is actually um, Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, or MacGyver or something, just like an incredibly skilled um, fighter and survivalist and... Uh, we don't really get a sense immediately where that comes from in her, but um, maybe it's kind never. Of an amazing discovery. You know, it's not like yeah. it's not like that. Yeah. There's some point in the backstory where they explain that she went through some intensive amount of training as part of the creation of mm-hmm. this right wing militia or something. You know, it's more just like like the only real explanation that's offered for why she's such a badass is, is that she tells uh, the. Jason Lee character, the Mrs. Lyon character that she's, you know, what does she say that she's, she's crawled through seven layers of hell, 10, 10 layers, six layers, six layers of hell. Yeah, How many layers? I don't know. Six. Like a burrito or something, you know, it's like yeah, a, yeah, a big yeah. ass cake of hell. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And to, to, to get here and, you know, some Ivy League such and such isn't going to take it away from her, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Ivy League royal wannabe. I royal like wannabe. Yeah. The royal piece is, I think, a very important mm-hmm. question, both in terms, you know, mm-hmm. whatever we could get into a little, you know, some of these different characters are, I, I, I'm seeing them very much through a sort of allegorical lens. You know, I think there's a big Wizard of Oz, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, L. Frank Baum kind of thing going on here in a oh. huge way. Um, Did but, you think but, about uh, that, Dave, with Dorothy Dot? Oh, my so God. I literally Juno, had the, not the main up character, until this point. Temple, her, her, her chosen name is Dorothy or Dot Lion. You know, uh, there's, you know, all, all of these. M- many of the different characters seem to map in some ways onto the the original um, Wizard of Oz kind of, you know, which is, which was, which is the quintessential mid. I mean, one thing that's important to say at the top here is that this, this, that the Midwest is a main character in this mm-hmm. narrative universe, mm-hmm. right? Like all, you know, Fargo um, in general, and this sort of like sets of affects and ideas that are, that the Coen brothers infuse this, this sort of landscape with um, is like the, is not just someone sort of a draft backdrop, but a, but a character. And I think that mm-hmm. that itself draws on the L. Frank Baum kind of universe. I mean, and then mm. of course, while it does nominally take place in Kansas, like he was actually, mm-hmm. he never, he didn't live in Kansas. He lived in, in South Dakota. Um, so the, it's very much uh, like draw. He, he was a newspaper editor in, in South Dakota for a number of years. And um, I think there's a bunch of sort of things in the biographical details of, of his life and particularly a kind of populist reception of the Oz books that, uh, that lend themselves to, to a, a reading of, of this, of the, of the Fargo, this season of Fargo. Yeah. See, I totally, I mean, I brought that up when we were watching it and I was feeling like there's definitely moments where 
you're supposed to make that connection. But I also kind of like how it's incomplete. Like I, I don't feel that it, okay. I, I don't feel that there's clearly a cowardly lion, a scarecrow, a tin man, um, or an Oz figure or, a you know, maybe Mrs. Lion is, um, you know, the evil witch turned Glenda or something like there's a little bit mm-hmm. something, but I kind of liked the fluctuations in that and the way it like teased at that reading, but wouldn't actually be very precise about it. I don't know, but maybe you feel differently, Kyle, like you really do feel that you can read the characters in that mold. My, my, my claim wouldn't be so much that you can map the characters in this story onto all the characters in the Oz in the whatever the wonderful world of Oz uh, whatever the first mm-hmm. one was so much as that you that 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 the bomb allegory the L Frank bomb allegory provides a a parallel kind of structure for understanding the meanings of these allegorical figures in mm-hmm. this in this narrative world. So, um, you know, I think, and I think that they are maybe cluing us into that with some of the more direct references. So, you know, I, I do think that the, the Juno temple character being Dorothy seems, you know, uh, like significant her, her husband, um, the Wayne is, seems like quite a cowardly lion, um, in, mm-hmm. in certain respects. And his name uh, is Lion. <laughs> his last name is Lion. His mom's last name is Lion too, of course. They're all, you know, there's keeps being this, this joke of confusion about who is Mrs. Lion. The two different mm-hmm. Mrs. Lions, um, come, come up uh, frequently in the, um, in the populist reading of, uh, of, of the Wizard of Oz, um, narratives, the, 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 the Wicked Witch of the East, is viewed as being the the bankers and industrialists of the of the East Coast, and the and the Mrs. Lyon figure is frequently referred to as being you know East Coast money or you know these mm-hmm. kinds of East Coast banker figures, and and there is this kind of politics at play in in the figure of her of, uh, of being a debt collector um, of of sort of East Coast money calling in the debts of farms in particular, um, and uh, and that's the, you know that's very much the our contemporary populist politics in a Trump era of, uh, of, you know, disaffected uh, farmers who, who've been exploited by, by, you know, by agribusiness, um, but, but particularly are aggrieved at having to pay back farms to, uh, or pay back large farm loans to, uh, to East coast banks. Right. Um, so, mm-hmm. I, and there's a number of others, but I think that those are the, you know, that sort of sets up the, 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 a way of, of, uh, a framework for understanding the a contemporary allegory of debt and 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 the sort of mm-hmm. politics of debt in in 21st and then particularly that the historical a frequent historical reading of the Oz books has been through this populist lens particular like this idea of um of rejiggering farm debt in the in the midwest through the the um, there was this whole politics in the, in the late 19th century. L. Frank Baum wasn't himself thought to be a proponent of. He was pretty much a straight Republican, um, though a women's suffrage advocate, also advocated for 
genocide of Native peoples um, mm -hmm. or a complete genocide of Native peoples. And I think that the, that we need to come back to the, the figure of indigenous populations uh, like in this uh in, in this at some point but 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 the but the so it's not so much that he infused the story with these politics but it was taken up by followers of uh William Jennings Bryan and others who were the populist party in the late 19th century one of the big sorts of things they were trying to do at the time was to uh go to a silver standard if i understand this correctly like for, go away from the gold standard for the us dollar to um there's like a greenback reform which would have devalued the american currency effectively creating a tremendous amount of inflation and although and you know substantially decreasing the value of the loans that these farmers had taken out from from East Coast banks, so um, mm -hmm. those are the politics of that of of that at the time, and the and the oftentimes the narrative of Dorothy and you know who's the figure Dorothy and the and the Scarecrow and the Tin Man is like, can these different folks get, come together to to uh, to overcome the the twin evil witches of the East Coast industrialists and the West Coast industrialists, you know, the Stanford types. Um, mm -hmm. So today, I think it's much more like. You know, we don't necessarily see an Oz character in this. It's if anything, Oz is absent. Oz seems to me to be Trump, most likely. Um, uh, you know, this sort of con man figure hiding behind the curtain. Hmm. Um, you know, the the sort of the uh, orange guy, the orange idiot they refer to him orange as. Orange idiot. Um, you know, but but there but there are all of these other sorts of elements, particularly that that wreck that. That seem to suggest a, a quote unquote populist reading of that. And then I think For you sure. have to think through the politics of what populism is in contemporary life. Whereas I really think the Nightmare Before Christmas masks are cool. Yeah, I was <laughs> yeah, just yeah. going to say. <laughs> I'm well, like, dude, yeah. I had no idea that this was the way that, it, like, you're referring to the Wizard of Oz reading, and I'm like, I mean, you just blew my mind. Like, I, there's so much I just didn't even know about the Wizard of Oz. Uh, in what you just said. And that's like, yeah, that's totally fascinating. And, it, it, and yeah, I, I think in terms of the debt stuff, you know, the, the, from my own reference points and history, you know, a lot of the like religious and like, uh, personalizing and mm -hmm. the sort of debt conversation that literally like ends the whole show yeah. when dot yeah. is talking to old mm. munch who we got to talk about yes. oh, yeah. is like the, the individualization of it, of like, there's definitely political implications, but then there's also these interpersonal forgiving of emotional debts and wrongs mm -hmm. that, that is interesting. And I feel like the show handled it the wrong way in a way that really like frustrated me, but I'm open to, to being wrong about that. But but it, yeah, it does the like big political debt, but then also like what does it mean to forgive each other sort of debt forgiveness? You see well, you that the, your tone there makes it seem as though like that forgiveness is somehow you're, you're discounting that, Dave. Is that just, just No, no, too, no. Too mushy, I just it's too kumbaya for you or It's not it's not too mushy. I think it's too I think the way they handle it in that last episode is too uh, liberal and individualistic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, sp specifically, I just think that like, there's a real, like, um, the, the, the lean in feminism aspect you were mm -hmm. saying, Madeline, I think like, 
that she becomes I don't know. a hero figure, right? That the Jennifer Mrs. Jason Lyon. Lee, right. who's a fucking monster, like, right. but because she's suddenly the fairy godmother in the end, right? she is, and she, and mm-hmm. and there's that moment when she confronts John Hamm's character in the prison, and I mm-hmm. feel like the show is wanting us to just be like, yeah, fuck yeah, she's badass, like she's like carceral and it's feminism. Like, <laughs> it's like it's so carcerally feminist, and like her handing him the cigarettes and saying like you might need these is like. All, it's like two clicks away from a don't drop the soap joke. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, fuck this. And, the, and, and like, and it's just like, who gets forgiven? Because like a really, I'm not saying it should do this. Like kind of what I want is to see Jennifer Jason Lee's character also suffer, mm-hmm. but a really radically forgiven thing would be for Roy to also somehow get forgiveness extended to him, Not just, which son. is like, Right. Not just his, like, which is, which I admit is like very, like this guy is doing like socially agreed upon and actually literally monstrous things. Mm -hmm. But if we're going to talk about forgiveness and who gets it, does it, does everyone get it? Or is it just, if you, you know, if you, is a matriarchy the solution? The show kind (laughs) of seems to argue in some ways. It flirts with that. It flirts with that for sure. I mean, I think that this is a, general problem with the Coens too, right? And, okay. and for sure in uh the film Fargo, right? It's like um the way that the Coens and every season of of the show um has some version of the marginalized cop, right? Mm-hmm. We get this very clearly with Margie, who's like nine months pregnant. Um it's very hard not to be rooting for her in that like final showdown with Steve Buscemi where he's shooting at her. Right. Like, um, or is it, no, it's not with Steve Buscemi. It's with the other guy. Yeah. Steve Buscemi is the one who goes into Ends the, up in the wood chipper. Wood yeah. chipper. Okay. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, and I think that that it, the character of wit, right. Uh, wit mm-hmm. far, the black state trooper, um, who feels indebted to Dorothy because she saves his life while he is serving. Right. Um, uh, yeah. It doesn't really quite know what to do with some of these tropes. And so I, I don't know. I feel like each season I'm more interested in like the middle chunk because of all the like interesting problems and conflicts that come out. But the tendency of, you know, conclusions always is to like, put a bow on it in some way and it, and it just can't. And I, I wanted to talk, I want to talk about Munch for sure, but I want to talk about far. Like that was what Jasmine, when, when we were watching, I was texting her and she, she watched it too. Um, she was especially far disappointed with, by far the, the black cop. Yeah. The state black trooper. state trooper who in the end does this like, yes, heroic act. That's very stupid. Where and he pointless. Goes and pointless. Yeah. Um, he doesn't know that it's pointless. Like he doesn't know that Roy will be get caught at the other end of that tunnel, but he follows Roy into the tunnel and then he and he dies, right? Um Yeah. Um and then there there's this interesting scene where they go a year later to his grave and they're talking uh this is um Dorothy and her daughter Scotty and the other like good cop turned private security 
Um, Homestead, yeah. Homestead, um, who's another like non-white woman cop, right? Um, right. Fitting this this bill, like there can't be a protagonist cop who's a white man. It knows enough to do that, mm, right? Mm-hmm. But it still doesn't quite know how to inhabit the genre. And how do you inhabit the genre of like the detective film or the mystery or something like that? Um, because people like solving mysteries. Yes. Yeah. If if somehow there was a job that involved piecing together little clues that mm-hmm. wasn't tied to the state and like carcerality in that way. That's why the investigative journalist movies are better. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that is interesting. That is interesting. But like, yeah. But because pe- it's so hard. I mean, there's the whole fucking there's massive British culture industry around just these little mystery shows, you know? Yeah. 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 But when they go to his grave, they're discovering all these details about his life, right. That they didn't know. And it's Mm -hmm. all, it's in some way I've, I wondered watching it a second time, if it was winking at us about the way that it had this like disposable black cop, (laughs) or if it was just completely oblivious to that, because I found that that scene was kind of, um, it was a little bit too deliberate. Like they were talking about all these things they didn't know about him, how he had an actual life, how he had all these sisters. That must have been why he was so good to women, how he just had a cat. And then they're like, oh, we need to go get Bisquick on the way home. Wayne's it's making it, chili. It, it's you know? cr- that scene is cringe <laughs> to the point that it seems as though the there's like an intent for it to be cringe, right? Like it's like it, it's you know you, the the dialogue is awkward enough that you can imagine mm-hmm. that they've like they're playing that up in some way, right? So I think that is yeah. suggestive the of this idea that they that the film that the showmakers are 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 intentionally. They are acknowledging that they're dealing with this horrible cliche of of this disposable black hero, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he, uh, and uh, and and but they don't actually, you know, do anything to combat it. They just sort of wink and nod at the fact that that that, that that's a problem. And I think, yeah. you know, someone's it, it does get to this question that Dave asked about who's allowed redemption, right? Because. Mm-hmm. Uh, the form of redemption that's that's available to 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 wit as a black man is is you know is death in heroism right. as a state actor you know as a sort of soldier mm-hmm. for the state the forms of of redemption that are available to the uh, what's her name uh, the the other cop the uh, Olmstead uh, Olmstead um, uh, Officer Olmstead are are like you know that she can through her ability get out of the her debt you know um but not mm-hmm. actual debt forgiveness right that it's not right. like that that it's like she she's yeah. you know we don't even get an indication that the the debts which were mostly run up by her white husband that those are necessarily handed off to him it's just we all we know is that now she's she's wealthy ish or upper middle class because she has a high paying job working for this evil debt collector right um, when jennifer jason lee offers her the job you're i was expecting her to be like and i'll forgive your debt right. instead she's like and we'll put you on a payment plan i'm like yeah what Fucking like payment you, plan what are you talking about yeah right? yeah so and and you know so i think that the morality of debt is that's actually the central theme to me of the mm-hmm. uh, of, of of the of the stories right but it but an important subset of that is who to whom is redemption 
offered, right? Um, mm-hmm. The redemption of, of debt forgiveness, these other forms, because the other, the other big, well, there's these different ways that financialized debt and the, the forms, the Roy character, the sheriff, he's hung up on the debt that uh, the Juno temple um, Nadine Dorothy. or Dot, Dorothy mm-hmm. uh, owes to him ha- having committed to be his, his wife um, and having and reneged on that by fleeing or his horrific yeah. violence. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. these are forms of sort of moral debt, which he says, right. no, you know, no amount of money could pay for. Right. He can't, mm-hmm. he can't it's like uh, it can't be accounted for with, with money. Right. Then there's a sort of registers of the financialized debt that, that the Mrs. Lyon is dealing with, but underlying all of, of this. And, and we could, you know, so, First here, I'd say like much more so than I was making the claims for Wizard of Oz previously. I think they're much more directly <laughs> reading from the Graber book, Death, the first 5,000 years, right? I think there's tons of stuff in here that's the, that's mm. working through these questions of primordial debt and particularly the sort of inter, the inextricable interlocking between the origin of the state, the origins of of, of financial capitalism, and particularly how each of those is is, is wrapped up in in say judeo-christian morality in in this um in this mm-hmm. instance right um uh but underlying in the in, in the instance of the midwest of course underlying all of of those different forms of debt is the original sin of <laughs> of the midwest which is you know genocide of native peoples which goes which is which is kind of like you know the the unconscious of of this series mm. it's like virtually never signified or or or, or mentioned at all yeah is the it only... justin munch's munch refers to right there's mm-hmm. no yeah. native characters there's you know uh yeah. there's munch is this sort of like becomes this kind of figure for like all things past and says that he you know they be that the plains people became his people after you know after he mm-hmm. traveled mm-hmm. to the the you know hundreds and hundreds of years ago but then they were wiped out right um and i think uh like you know the because the power of the of roy is land-based and tied to his sort of ranching and his sort of you know claim to the county and its legacy um and and that is in direct conflict with the with the claims of the of the federal government to be the state authority in in that county uh like that that all of that is is cannot be separated from the the genocide of, of native peoples in the in that region right um mm-hmm. and which is a huge debt right um, and i think that's why you know ultimately that's why roy's debt is is not one which can be redeemed um hmm. yeah i mean mm-hmm. when when he's there's a certain point in the middle of the season where I was like, what is Roy going to do with her? Like what she can't pay right. him back. What, what's his plan? You know, did you, did you ever have a real clear sense of that? I think he's, his character is really haunting because you don't really know what, what he's driving at right i mean like, that's I mean, what's so like talk domination. about villainous yeah like that's mm-hmm. what's so evil about it is that it is a it is a 
a, a hunger never to be satisfied yeah. he has to 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 just to own her to yeah. th- th- one of the things that makes the most sense is when he tells his lackey guy to kill her to bury her um right and and it you're like oh yeah of course you know when he's like oh she's the one i the most i ever felt was for her and i never want to feel that way again and you're like Mm -hmm. yeah this makes more sense than anything else you've said about like needing her yeah Mm -hmm. you it's it's like a fucking stalker trying to kill the object of their stalking Mm -hmm. or something like yeah yeah no i mean it, it is a hunger and i think that that's what what's interesting to me is like show by show or episode by episode you're kind of getting these like in these parallels between characters like initially it's really like roy and mrs lion yes are the the two kind of villains that she's like operating between their kind of poles and yes as we've said like by the end she gets to become more like a kind of glenda the good witch um, she literally gets a hug feminist. from Dot. Yes. And she finally calls her her daughter and things like that. Right. And part of that is because Officer Olmstead says to her that they are both tigers. Um, right. And with that realization, um, yeah, something is forgiven, right, in that character. Maybe. Um, I don't quite know how much the the narrative itself is sold on these moves, right? I think a lot of it is about the constraint the characters are in, are living under. Mm-hmm. And I guess for that reason, I'm out of all the shows that we've watched and movies that we've watched this season, I feel like this is, and I'm not even saying this is a kind of qualitative statement, like it's better than anything we've watched because we've watched some great stuff, but I think it is the most about um, the impossibility of these archetypes in capitalist life, right? Like, I don't think we're supposed to feel like in that last horrible scene with Mrs. Lyon in the, in the um, prison prison. talking to Roy. Yeah. She tells Olmstead to go, go in the hall because she doesn't, she knows what she's about to say is totally fucked up. Right. Yeah. And she doesn't want to be, seen doing this right um she sees olmstead as having a kind of morality that she doesn't have or something like that right i i don't think that it's a neat and tidy that she and roy use sure it's not a neat and tidy ending for that character but um it's just where she's kind of landed on in the end um in terms of the kind of chess game or something that's being played right like but i don't think anyone's exempt and i also don't yeah, everyone kind of uneasily, anyone who's close to a hero uneasily inhabits that that role. Oh, for sure. But I fe- this is this is a thing that I've been kind of circling around in various episodes this season is like you know, I don't know if I believe that heroes exist. And mm-hmm. and if you want to add in parentheses like under capitalism, sure, totally. I do kind of think that villains exist. And I think especially under capitalism, villains seem to exist. But do you think that's like, are you saying that something about these circumstances also makes it difficult for villains to exist? Because I'm interested in that. I think you can't help but be a villain. 
in some way under capitalism. Mm, I hate saying actually under capitalism. I'm going to say in capitalist life. Sure, sure, sure. But uh, that was kind of what we were talking about with Delby, right? Like last last episode that part of what we kind of like about her is that she sees she sees how the game works, you know, and she's not pretending she's above it or something like that. Um, well, so I, I think, know. okay. In terms of can't, this is interesting. Cause this, this relates to my theory about who gets forgiveness and the like gender dynamics mm-hmm. is the banker. What's it? It's like Olivia or he has some, like they call it like a girl's name or something like Victoria right. or something. Mm. Vivian. Um, Vivian. Vivian, that's right. Yeah. Vivian, the like mustachioed old guy <laughs> who's been like doing, he's, he's a shady banker. And we yeah. also know that he has a restraining order from a, from an, uh, a dancer at the strip club against mm-hmm. him. So like, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of big signifiers of like bad piece of shit man, you know, yeah. but when, but among the most monstrous acts of the show, mm-hmm. a lot of them belong to Roy, but one of the top ones is when Jennifer Jason Lee calls him in the strip club. You yeah. texted me that line and is yes. like, your mistake was thinking that death was the worst thing that could happen to you. Chilling. His, she's, she's gotten his son expelled from Notre Dame because he was behind on tuition. She's like, your whole rest of your life you're mm-hmm. going to be looking at the the hungry mouths of your kin futureless she, kin right and and his <laughs> and and like obviously existentially what has he done wrong many many things mm-hmm. but in terms of what has he done wrong to her like been sexist uh bit like yeah. Mostly just got in the way of her and Roy's tussle. And she's like, I am here to f- radically he raise your right life side. to the ground. Right. Right. Yeah. She's not. And she's, she's, she's just sending a message there. Right. She's saying like, sure. You know, like, you know, if anybody, if anybody chooses to, to side with, you know, I, I can see that Roy, you know, Roy came to, to pull you, put you over a barrel. But if anybody, if you or anyone else chooses to 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 think that he's the tough guy, you're, you'll see immediately that you're wrong. I'm the tough guy mm-hmm. here. I'm the new law in town. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is like he's a villain by not a, not being like he doesn't have a choice, but to, he's forced yeah. into villainy for sure. Yes, yes. But then he's also at the mercy of even greater villainy. Sure, right. Sure. I mean, that and, sure sounds the, like America, right? I mean, definitely, definitely. But, and she's also like to complicate the idea of forgiveness as solution because it literally is like, I don't think the show is necessarily like presenting this unironically, but a solution for sin and misery is presented in the form of a Bisquick muffin biscuit made with love and joy. Like Mm -hmm. she hands that to munch and he eats it and he has a goofy look and he's fucking like redeemed uh, you know and and healed and i think the i like but is he though is he well sure maybe but like but but certainly there are people whose debt is forgiven literally Mm -hmm. their financial Mm -hmm. debt is forgiven for completely manipulative 
purposes. They they forgive those three guys who they turn into the Roy Tillman mayors, uh, mm. mayoral candidates in the debate, which is just like a very hilarious sequence. Yes. yes. But then they for like the horrible thing that Jennifer Jason Lee's character says to Roy in the prison is like, I forgave the debt of all these prisoners so that they'll be beating and raping you until yeah. the end of time. And it's like, well, okay, what why are we why is forgiveness so great then if it's just at the mercy of like the worst people to enact for their own ends? Well, do you think that that scene is supposed to be read in contrast to the scene, the last scene where uh, Dot gives Munk that biscuit? Or do you think that they're saying the same thing? Because I actually saw them as being really counterposed. Yeah, tell me more. I I, I buy that they'll that they're saying different things, but but say, say I mean more. the thing that's interesting about this show, let's talk about Munk. He's a nihilist, right? And I'm really interested Lebowski in Lebowski reference. Yes, yes. But I'm really interested in how <laughs> the nihilist inhabits this world of like fake heroes and uh darker and lighter shades of villain <laughs> right mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. he's he is in what sense is munk a nihilist he's a nihilist purely in the sense that he said he says that he's, he's a, nihilist. a nihilist right he like, says right. that he's a nihilist to describe i mean i and see then that he it... proceeds to be a character who who speaks almost exclusively uh in terms of what a man should do you know like <laughs> yeah, it's in- yeah he's entirely it's true, prescriptive from then on you know he's like yeah. it's just a Let's series of aphorisms for- yeah okay so right the the way that monk talk- that this, this character was his actual name monk or ula monk oh, ula monk <laughs> like old old monk ula. he's an old monk <laughs> from the from the old country he's like some sort of welsh i mean he is 500 years there's old there's weird genre things going <laughs> like, on here where there's an element of the supernatural which i don't know that yes. that, that really there's like, like there's definitely weird so there's things a fl- that happen let's like hold on hold on yeah. let's just like there just give basic plot details with the analysis. Like, so 500 years ago, he is a sin eater, right? Which is a real thing right. in, in Wales. In Wales, which and is a real other thing. Parts of oh, really? Okay, Ex- it's a real it, thing. Ex- so I've heard that sin eater pay, thing before. They would rich people would pay poor people to eat their sins. Eat food awesome. that represented their sins at the at the time of their right. death, and it was supposed yes. to cleanse yes. them of their sins so that they allow could them to go to heaven, clear entry okay. into okay. heaven. Um, yeah, that's how I understood it in the show. Yeah, okay. and that's so how that it's represented sense. in the show. Except, it's a real thing, except that to our knowledge, uh, you know, actual sin eaters in in medieval Wales didn't become. The, uh, you know, immortal, immortal. Maybe they uh, died. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like that you say to our knowledge that we, knowledge, yo, if yeah. we have any sin eaters, in, in email audience, us at yeah. genre reveal party we'll at gmail.com. Um, I'd yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an, so, okay. So yeah. Sin eater. Then he, then, then presumably in, in the sort of narrative, in the, in the story, the bio, the biography of the Ula Munk character, he seems Which to. Which describes to the 10 year old girl in the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Around the dinner table. Biscuits. That he, 
like, wait, is what? What does he do with Scotty? He's like saying he's telling he's telling the family around the dinner table, like you know, he's like Where how he came. He came from. Yeah, yes, he's like yes, you know, yes, yes. he's like from I was born five hundred years ago. And <laughs> yeah, he didn't say five hundred. You know, yeah, of, like know. he says like <laughs> the, he, he like really they, like they wrote in the time <laughs> of the six thousand tribes or something. Yeah, six hundred tribes. Yeah, and like that they came across the 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 ocean in 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 row in longboats. And men drowned in their seats. Their seats. <laughs> right. <laughs> Shit's hysterical. That's so hard. Um, and, and sort of fleshes out these things that have been implied in 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 the in the sort of flashback scenes about his, you know, his his time as a sin eater sin eater um in an in an earlier episode, right? Um and uh, explains why he never eats and never sleeps. Never sleeps and and and, and seems to be able to details I like disappear to know and reappear yes. and you know these sorts mm-hmm. of like you know supernatural Can't aspects. Be so I mean as a genre question this is interesting because you know to my knowledge that's not something that usually happens in the code you know there's there's definitely they're definitely prone the cohen brothers are prone to these kinds of coincidence and maybe even sort of like magical realism um did you do that on purpose coincidence oh damn cohen's and the coincidence <laughs> you didn't no, okay. no, 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 no i wish i was that funny is that funny? bad joke um uh but 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 like yeah this is this seems to be like a whole nother level of you know yeah, whatever. There's some certain thing magical going on with this dude. There is something um, really magical going on. Because they have mysterious, like in Serious Man, there's all these things of like, well, yeah. are these things happening as the result of a higher power? Right. Who knows? But right. this is like, there's a fucking 500-year-old guy in a kilt walking around. <laughs> right. And that Although seems- you you guys rewatched No Country for Old Men, right? right? And I feel like what's his name is is a bit of a is a bit yeah, of the a Javier Bardem character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. was curious about that because the other thing is like those two characters have amazing like women's haircuts, right? Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. He's definitely because a, a great Bob. To, the, to to that that character is uh, Anton Chigurh from uh, from yeah, Chigurh, you know, yeah. Um, yes. you know, country, and and like the so the, the almost exactly the same joke that they make in the Fargo, in the Fargo episode mm-hmm. where where. Uh, where Munch's Three Stooges haircut? No, they didn't actually say that one, but the one about like when they first meet, when you first meet, meet um, the sheriff's son, um, the Gator character, Gator, he, yes. he explains From like that, that, the, that, that this guy <laughs> who he's you know who survived the 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 attack at the at the gas station is named Munch, uh, and they make they mm-hmm. make like this joke about him having a weird name. And in mm-hmm. the in No Country, they make like the the character the main character refer. He's like sugar, sugar. That's his, that's this badass's name. You know, they have this sort of like similar sugar. this thing about yeah. like making fun of these foreign names as being this you know deeply Americana kind of thing. Anyway, uh, yeah, there are definitely lots of he's definitely a callback to that to that character in in other ways and in sort of like invincibility and like creepiness mm-hmm. in certain respects but he's also much more of a comic tragic comic figure right um, yeah i love how hilarious he is like this is why i was like this is a great genre show to watch because that yeah. character has the scariest and the funniest moments somehow. yes yeah. totally right totally. like he is so and played by um sam sproul like great actor character actor I've, i'm not he 
unsurprisingly mostly plays villains, <laughs> um, has the face for it. But uh, what a great performance because he's able to just like jump between all those registers like so fluidly and surprisingly too. Like you don't know in that last scene, is he there as a comic figure or is he there to unleash like horror right. on this family? Right, right. You right, really right, don't right. know up until the last frame of that scene. Um what genre he's existing in right? right like it's kind of a kind of an incredible feat well even um, his yeah. carrot like the the it's interesting like what creates genre right like th- mm-hmm. this watching this kind of helped me understand like y- you know a question in my mind is like what do we even mean when we say genre you know is it a mm-hmm. set of tropes but his character adds a genre to the show like yes. he is a supernatural thing all of a sudden the right. show Absolutely. cannot exist it cannot be a realist show anymore no 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 know? no no and that's one thing i want to bring up because all of these problems that we're having i think there's a scene early on when and also what a fucking banger episode with the like home alone Nightmare Before Christmas right. kind of um, okay, home dude, invasion thing. But you wait, cannot say what? you don't like horror movies anymore. That's uh, that, I, I realize that's that. a new goal of mine for this season. <laughs> I didn't even realize it has been to convince you that you like horror movies because that episode fucking rips Scared the shit out of you. Yeah. It, no, it rips, and it's such a horror movie, dude. It is a right. home yeah. invasion movie. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. It is. I will give you that. I'm. I am. I'm not anti-horror i just like really good horror i won't yeah i won't be casual about how i totally watch that genre and i'll watch like bottom of the barrel of most other genres but right. i need something to be really good and i also would say that in terms of representation of sexual violence like this is a really like i will say like i am a survivor from family domestic abuse like there's a lot of stuff about roy that was really hard for me very visceral for me to watch. Yeah. And I really like how it's represented in the show, especially that like puppet sequence where you get the bulk of the content through. It is really upsetting what you watch in this like weird utopian dream space that she goes into where she has to like tell her story, finally tell her story of what happened but she has to do it in making these uh, puppets um, or they're marionettes, excuse me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I actually really appreciated the elegance and respectfulness of that. um, Yeah. That that makes me like that more, but I, I I derailed you from talking about the nightmare before Christmas. After, after that sequence, which is amazing and really thrilling, her husband Wayne is uh like electrocuted, right? And mm-hmm. she has to like push Wayne off the roof. <laughs> just like a, I don't know. I just somehow that's still kind of comical. Like I don't know how they pulled that off too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's in the hospital and they're waiting to like go in and you listen to Dot rehearse with Scotty, the the child, who is a great character and great child actor yeah side note rehearse with her 
how they're supposed to tell the story of what happened. And you're listening to Dot say basically like, I know you know what really happened, but we're going to convince ourselves of this other story of what happened, right? We're going to, not just like we're going to lie, but we're actually going to convince ourselves mm-hmm. that this from other thing From now on, happens. this other story is what from has happened. From now on, yeah. that's what happened. And that's actually how stories work in this show, right? Um, that people are telling stories about what happened and those stories are in conflict with each other and they don't make sense. They're incongruous, but they just kind of coexist, which is what I like also about like the imprecision of the Wizard of Oziness, the way that, you know, in the end, Gator, Roy's son, loses his eyes a la Oedipus, but it's like a totally like, Whatever I wrote, anti Oedipus, just because of the ha ha element of it. But it's like a, it's a, it's an inverse in some ways of Oedipus. It's like it's fucking around with and like kind of like a like a great cover song or something like that. Like it's it's about the imprecision of what it's doing with these intertexts. And so I was I was interested in like the storytelling logic of it and how um, that's part of why. It doesn't quite make it doesn't quite square in the end politically. It doesn't quite. Yeah. You know, um, and you're just kind of watching people's stories about themselves play out by the end. Well, I I think that's what makes sense. Yes. And I think that's that is one way in which it relates to Fargo, the movie. Yes. Quite a bit. And honestly, like a lot of stories, you could argue that like every narrative, anything is about how everyone has their own story and the ways that they, that those realities clash and conflict, but like everything in a Fargo, meaning Mm -hmm. either the movie or I imagine every season of the show is about like the plans people make the (laughs) way their hopes for those plans, the ways they go wrong, how Mm -hmm. in the moment uh, fucks with, you, you know, they can do all the planning they want. And then in the moment, it gets all thrown out the window. Yes. Um, yeah. The stories it, get crossed, like, right? Like, somebody says what they have a, and that's also with plans and schemes, right? Like, that one person's working on another, on one scheme, and then, like, that scheme totally tangles up with somebody else's bizarre, um, you know, plot to and to, different people's you know, wants it's like oh i want this well i want this can this intersect or does this make yeah. us enemies or does this make us friends or yeah yeah it's about okay. those collision points want just came into it here in this important way right that there's something mm-hmm. about desire they've said yeah, mm-hmm. and i think that that is that that seemed that that piece of desire or want <laughs> is largely at odds with this thing that's going on about the storytelling, right? So if we look at Mm -hmm. the different stories that people are telling uh, about themselves um, in, in, in this, just in this season, uh, trying to limit (laughs) the intertextuality (laughs) a little bit, uh, (laughs) like, you know, the, a lot of the, a lot of, you know, we, we have like, obviously there's these sorts of stories we see that Dot tells is telling like to the world about who she is as a housewife. Right. And that's like a story which, Mm -hmm. which like wipes out her, 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 her other prior past. Um, Mm -hmm. There's like, uh, like there, she tells, she re-narrates those stories with, with, with her daughter, with Scotty. Um, There's a huge section of one of the episodes that is just Roy, 
telling his story, his sort of mm-hmm. like intergenerational legacy of being, you know, like the, the third generation or fourth generation. Which sheriff. is no country for all men. It right? almost it's exactly reproduces the, the, the narration mm-hmm. from the beginning of, of No Country for No Old Men, wow. which begins with Tommy Lee Jones as a, as a, a multi generational sheriff and like going back to the old timers. He's the old man. He's the old man. Right? And, um, you know, okay, so. All of those different kinds of story, and then and then I think Mooch has like this very long story, right? In that in that yeah. last scene, Munch says and that speaks exclusively in stories, in stories right? right? <laughs> and those stories, very crucially, that he tells are proscriptive, and I think that's the the, the proscriptive mm. element is very very important here, and I think we haven't really explored yet because there's this uh, this way in which like you know like. He, he says, like, a man must do this. A man should, you know, a man, I don't know. A, a man frees a, man a tiger does. so a man, the tiger can finish her fight. Yeah. This does yeah. not mean the man is finished with her. And in each of these in- examples, <laughs> he's saying, like, this is what's going to happen, right? We see the same kind of logic at play when the when Roy confronts the, the FBI big shot and is like, you know, you, you, this isn't this isn't a trip to Starbucks on the way to work. Like this right. isn't a, this isn't like a, a this isn't just some story we're gonna let go. Like you know, um, my like, whole destiny has my been destiny leading me to is, this. Yeah. You know, brings me to this point, right? But of course, he fucking mm. runs away and hides, right? It's not yeah. like he actually like what he wants to do actually doesn't really enter into the story very much, mm. right? What people mm-hmm. want to do very often, you know, mm. this the, you know wants and desires have something to do with choice right the stories mm. have to do with what should happen and that you know i mean etymologically even like uh okay so the uh, the word should the, the like our main word for prescriptive storytelling in in english is derived from the it's like what i think there's a uh germanic uh indo-european root word for um or for like schuld um is like the it, it's the Jesus same Kyle. it's the <laughs> same root word <laughs> as I'm 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 doing a very bad job it. of pulling on David Graeber here I think uh, but he, there's this whole thing about like how uh like our pres- our prescriptive language is all draws on these old old words for the the twin words of guilt and debt right mm-hmm. um the the the, Eng- the germanic word is um is schuld uh, um in old german maybe the current german and, and it means both guilt and debt right you see this in the bible over and over again you see this in right. in in how uh in, but particularly in in this in this story how uh how the the um monk character um Mm-hmm. Both speaks what he, what mu- what a man must do, and and like plays. It's like that is the story he has, and this is why I don't think he's a nihilist, right? Uh, he has the very prescriptive things of, that are like irrefutable. A man must do this, right? Uh, and and that that's that's what how he determines what he's going to do next, right? There's this mm-hmm. there's this le- very very limited set of things which are allowable. And there's no choice involved. That's the very end of the, of No Country for Old Men as well, in which this the the, the surviving wife of the of the main character tells um, is is been confronted by the by the Shigur character, the um, uh, Anton Anton Shigur uh, um, character who, who's gonna who's come there to kill her, 
and offers her the same thing he's done previously of like he's like going to flip a coin and like she's supposed right. to call it and if she calls it correctly then the, then the, then then she gets to live is i guess the implication or maybe he says that explicitly but basically like she refuses that offer she says no like it's not up to a coin toss you know you are making mm-hmm. a decision you are you're choosing whether or not you're going to kill me right, right. Uh, it's actually up to you it's a choice that you get to make it's not the story that you that you've been telling yourself of like mm-hmm. this is this is prescribed and has to be you, there's no debt involved here and that's i think the same thing that's repeated at the end of this is that that right. like right. That the moonch character like despite having like been playing out this story that he's been living out for 500 years from having eaten the sins of the rich and believing that that has doomed him to a, a life in which love and joy are impossible. Um, hmm. The the offer of the of Bisquick is one in which like you can be redeemed because you can make a choice. You can make a choice to do something different. But that offer that offer is really I mean, and this is I don't I don't know biblical shit at all. So I don't know, Dave. I know you grew up in a in church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I can yeah. So like that, all this is where for this this part of this all seems to you know they're they're constantly quoting scripture throughout this text you know like and and you know that's a similar sort mm-hmm. of syncretic tradition if you pull on these different kinds of 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 parts of the Bible to make different kinds of 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 cases and you know like you know you adapt it to the political situation in which you're in but that that right. that that central thing at the end you know, I mean it's very clearly a, a, a repetition a, a ritualized repetition of the sacrament you know like the biscuit mm-hmm. is is the body of Christ she's offering to him redemption in the form of forgiveness the forgiveness which which is only available to Christians through the death of the, the of God's only Son and the and the agreement to uh, to to take up that debt in our everyday lives, you know, as a form of of guilt and shame. Um, you know, our debt to to God is or hmm. the debt of of. of of God to the universe is is trans transfigured into our debt to 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 God um, in this you know mm. sort of ritualized you know constantly repeated thing. But I do think there's something you know kind of kind of cool also about that offer. You know, I think if anything, it makes a she's making a pretty good case for. For, for for the the political viability of of, of a kind of uh, you know uh, like of a kind of Christianity a, a Christianity of forgiveness. Well, right? so the thing I would agree with, I, like I agree with a ton of that. It I guess the thing I the 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 like challenge I would make to that, it, which is not less like I might just totally agree or I might not <laughs> is. If it's a political viability or if it's a personal viability. I see. Mm. And so, like, her thing of, like, telling Munch, like, you have a choice is, yeah. like, it, like, the, 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 you know, childhood Christian in me and, per, you know, person still attuned to mystery is, like, very moved by the idea mm. of, like, personal forgiveness, of personal redemption. Like, those things are, like, really fucking powerful i guess mm-hmm. the thing and and i do think she makes a good argument to him for like you have a choice to experience something different and 
and here, like I'm offering it to you and he, and here we are like together, like, you know, so much of what he's describing in his 500 year history is like periods of like when he was with people, yeah. when he wasn't with people, you know? He didn't and, like, speak for a hundred years to anyone. <laughs> which is really, it's both like horrifying and very funny, which is his whole character. But like, but, but, but my question is then, okay, well, this is beautiful, but the liberal move is to go, and this is also a political move, is to go, oh, if we just forgive each other. I see. When it's like, no, we need Jennifer Jason Lee to go out of business, yeah. have redemption services be fucking yeah. closed. It's not enough for us all that to just. called redemption like, services? Yeah, yeah, that's what it's called. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know, amazing. right? And like, and, 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 and it, and it is, you know, so then what's the opposite of individual? I always look for like, okay, where's the redemption in community? And I think sure. there's a bunch of redemption mm-hmm. in community. They're like around a dinner table, which is like, you know, maybe the platonic ideal of mutual yeah. aid, you know, is a fucking mm-hmm. dinner table. And like, but, sure. but then what good, what good does it do? Like, is this an end point or is this a beginning point where now we like fucking overthrow mm. the king? You know what I mean? Right. Well, I think that's that is an interesting genre question of of the Coens, right? And uh, No Country for Old Men similarly has this like very jarring abrupt ending mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. um Tommy Lee Jones is like describing a dream that he had and right. then just cut to credits, right, right? Right, right, right. And so I think there's something interesting that it's it's cueing to to us as readers that it's it's unwilling i think as a text to to resolve these things um maybe there's a false sense of resolution we get from this one interaction at the dinner table but who's to say that dot's version of redemption is the overall narrative logic of this show right because it's clearly contending with the scene that comes right before where mrs lion is like is yeah offering up this very ugly like retaliatory just version of justice written or something in like stone that. tablets from the age of the skull fuckers yeah yes yeah, exactly yeah. and so i think i mean i i'm not saying this to excuse the show's bad politics like i think that there are bad political moves and that it's it's dealing with um problematic tropes such as you know i really think the big glaring problem of the show is i'm is uh the state trooper yeah far right right but there's a few things like that that it's just it seems kind of unwilling to um to solve right and i kind of like that about it in some ways i kind of like that it's it's clumsy that it's imprecise like Oh, and I, so we've talked about Wizard of Oz. We've talked about, I brought up Oedipus. I brought up, um, uh, yeah, I think Nightmare Before Christmas, Home Alone. Like it, it, it has all of these interesting um, uh, points of connection. One of the things I'm really fascinated by is like what it's doing with archetypes too, especially in our season about heroes and villains, mm-hmm. but like. There are lions, tigers, bears, rabbits, goats, and even the son's name, Roy names Peter. his son 
gator. Mm, <laughs> like, what is it doing with this like animal imaginary? Yeah, but well, like, what is it doing with the? I mean, I felt like by the end of the show, and that is why when we, I think before we started recording, you were like, "Was this a hard view or not?" Oh, actually, no, it was when we started recording. I was saying I really liked watching it. It it stirred me in some way. I think it's the tiger sensibility. I like the tigeriness of it, <laughs> the tiger quality of this show, right? What is that? What is that like flavor of the show? And like, what is it doing with all of these different like animal archetypes? What Do makes a it a tigery show to you? I think for me, I was continuing to watch it, really feeling that Dot was the center in some way mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and um i wasn't just rooting for her but i was in awe of her and um i just i love i actually never thought gave gave juno temple like a second th thought you know like i watched a couple episodes of ted lasso found her very like throwaway I really haven't taken her seriously, but I like the fact that you don't take her seriously. And then you're like, oh, shit, <laughs> like with her mm -hmm. character, like she's really a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. And um, I really enjoyed that as like the mobilizing force episode to episode. Mm -hmm. I would argue that maybe the show is also tigery in its rejection of a single genre because mm -hmm as we learn about tigers in the show, they are like, tigers are more interesting than lions. Like they are like yeah. tigers, like are apparently like good swimmers and like all these things that you're like, wait, that's what a tiger does. Like tigers are more mm. versatile than just like the average, like big cat. And so that's what I would say makes the show kind of mm. tigery in terms of each of the, I, I mean, I think what it does what it's doing with animals is almost the same thing as what it's doing with archetypes. Like animals just on some level are archetypes. So like mm -hmm. it makes sense that a show so obsessed with the chased and the chaser and the, mm -hmm. the hero and the villain would especially have this weird narrator character who's going, you know, as he's about to blind Gator to go like, the rabbit screams because he knows he's caught, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like <laughs> that what it's doing with archetypes is like very clear right there, you know? Yes. Well, I think that the character, okay, so I don't think that animals are coming in to like naturalize mm -hmm. the, the characters in any way or like to kind of stand in for like whatever human nature, different, different versions of human nature or something mm -hmm. like that. I actually think it's a great extension of this thing that we already talked about, which is a is a way of understanding the stories that are that the characters are telling about e themselves and each other, and they're doing it through these avatars of the animals, right? Um, mm -hmm. I really appreciate the point with Munk where it clicks into gear, like this is not a woman, this is a tiger, right? And then you see that he <laughs> like starts gaming out every move he's to make according to that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like a sense-making thing, especially for him. I th it really starts with him, too, with calling calling different characters that, although yeah, different true. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you all thought about that. And I also wondered with John Hamm, that was the only sense I had going into the show was, oh, this is John Hamm's like crack at playing a villain, you know? Mm. And I, we had just watched him in the morning show and they like really don't seem to know whether he's a villain in it. He's clearly playing like Elon Musk, but that uh. shows politics are so such a like shit show that like sure, it's sure. kind of like, but also Elon Musk is really hot, like <laughs> or something okay, like that. Like there's, yeah. it's just very confused about what it's doing there. Well, I, think, I thought but... about John Hamm. I was just, <laughs> I, I, I've become so used to John Hamm as a guy it, it, on the outer edge of the LA comedy universe. Yes. And it's yeah. his whole thing He's was like, edge his way in. Yeah. Well, it's, or it was just naturally accepted was like, you know, it was like sure. the, the narrative was like, John Hamm was a nobody. He became uh fucking mad men. Got mm-hmm. what, what's that character's name? Mad Don men? Draper. Don Draper. And then, mm-hmm. and then the narrative is almost like John C. Riley a little bit is like, and he's so funny too. And you're like, Oh, that's cool. And then seeing well, this, was really I was smart. like, he started hooking up with Tina Fey. He was on, he did his like, right. 30 on 30 rock. Episode, right. Like I think in the second season of Mad Men, right. Like, he knew like, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure to, to get myself from, prevent myself from just being Don Draper forever. But, but seeing this, was this the I was like, dude, it. he has yeah. been wasted as comedy guy. Like, yeah. oh, let yeah. him do yeah. this. No, he's, this he's, he's so, so he's terrifying. Scary. He's definitely like the scariest. He's he's scarier than than the than Anton Chigurh in No Country for Old Men. And you know, mm, especially because he is like, you know, this is placed. He's placed in North Dakota, but like you can go to any county east of the Cascades <laughs> or the Sierras, mm. like, and you know like i don't know what west of the uh, of the appalachians <laughs> you know with with maybe the ex- exception of chicago itself and like this fucking guy is there you know in some version of you know they're, they're like even down mm-hmm. to the nipple rings it's yeah. like that would oh, seem man. like a goofy choice except that is totally a type of guy with yeah, the yeah, fucking yeah. nipple rings i was like that's those a are perfect fake nipples that he wore amazing amazing i just wanted you all to know they I gave him that fake right. nipples instead that. of fake nipple rings the nipples were to go over the nipples i think it's because it was so cold oh, okay. yeah i thought they were gonna i thought they were gonna have him show dong when he stands up out of the tub out which the would tub. be a yeah. big deal because John Hamm in loose fitting pants was such an internet meme oh, for right. so long. I know. Everybody knows he's got the BDE. Yeah. I think that I think not showing it was better because it like um well A, it couldn't be on because it was on FX, right? Sure, it's not sure. this is not an HBO show. Right, right. But I kind of like the the way it's winking at you. It, also, the right. FBI agent goes like, "Oh Jesus!" Like, right, right. <laughs> like she's a, she's I like that he's of a man. He's kind know? of pudgy so, in this show. Like I like they show his the love hand too. Yeah, yeah. He does. The dad bod is great. It's really and it it's is. just like it adds to the BDE because he's just like, yeah, I've got this paunch. But it's still... not even that. I mean, like Hollywood dad bod is very different than like actual midwest dad bot you know he mean? looked like a midwesterner who wrote who rides his horse 
10 miles a day. Yeah. Right? Has that good, like, core strength. Yes, yes, But it's yes, still yes. like, I'm going to eat steak every night. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know? right. Like, he's a thick man. He's thick, I, yeah, for sure. Was, yeah, I really like, I mean, I don't want to, like, focus on his body, but clearly I am. But um, I did kind of appreciate those details being very subtle, um, but I could tell, like, having seen the morning show, he was doing these, he did these two things back to back. He did clearly actually, like, gain some weight for this role and, like, mm. did some subtle things to himself physically, also the non-subtle nipple rings. And I appreciated, among the accents, what subtlety there was there too like i could hear it at a sentence well level, he was the first but, he was one of the early ones where it's like thank god someone's not doing this like doing this well a bunch of them yeah. are are british too right so like juno temple's british Wayne, right juno yeah. temple's british she's like, but she's also like her royalty isn't that her deal like she's her her dad her dad is a a famous uh, music of, yeah, director yeah like helped make the sex pistols oh. famous yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's that he's guy. a pretty interesting guy, and he was like Joe Strummer's best yeah. friend and stuff like that. Okay, right? okay. But um, so there's that. But like the guy who plays her husband, Wayne, he's also British. Oh, there's a lot. I think that's one of the things people like about the show. Like you and McGregor in season three, worst season of Fargo, oh, really? by okay. the way. But I'd I still recommend because I think it. I I actually find all of the seasons pretty compelling. But he plays twins. So it's like okay. there's some kind of weird actorly challenge around like doing the Fargo accent, especially if you're British and you know, that kind of thing. He seems to that get the accent. I like that John Hamm doesn't do. Right? Wait, this says, yeah, and he has the North Dakota too. This right? says Which Wayne is different. grew up in New Ulm, Minnesota. Right. That's the character. No, the early David Rizdal. Oh really? Is an American actor? Yeah. Fuck me. <laughs> but I'm I think I, no, no, no. no I, I mean, I there's still somebody else. Then no. There's oh, I believe else that. Who I yeah, must yeah, be yeah. Confusing it with. Um, to me, I just hope we can finally put British. to rest the idea that Brits are like incredible at accents. I just think <laughs> it, it it finally worked for me when it's like, oh, Dot's been affecting this accent. I was like, yes. Oh. Okay, but so much of it, I like, like that too, right? Yes, but for She's a while, I'm just and and what's her name? Uh, who actually really I thought was really li- likable, uh, Olmstead. Just yeah. the accent is like it's a bit, it's a, a bit lot, much for her. Dude. It's a bit much for her. And fucking what's his name? Her husband Lucas Gage doing his oh, version of the, the Br- accent. Oh yeah! Oh no no no! He's not the Brit. Excuse me. I'm 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 confused about who I. <laughs> no no! no. I believe was. you. The, you know who did yeah. it well was Dave hmm. Foley because you're like, well, oh, this course. is a Canadian doing yes. a subtle twist on the accent. And I love that he felt like he's like also okay. Great names too. Danish Graves is his name. Right 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 <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and then that he ends up in the grave. But I did like that he felt like a distant cousin of William H. Macy in Fargo, mm-hmm. right? Like there's just something about like, you're just made of the same stuff and mm-hmm. I, you're a different class and all of these things. Interesting. But like, I am just getting that like specific note from you. Wow. That I, I just really love 
all I mean I just I thought there's the way more desperation to Macy than to oh, yeah, Danish oh, yeah. Graves. It's true, it's true. And I like the names, but I wish the show didn't feel the need to comment on them so much. Like even the mm. the the self-consciously bad jokes Roy makes about like this guy's a muffin. I'm like, guys, you found a good name. Good job. But can you just let it be the name instead of like, right. you know why he calls you Gator? Because you looked like a little Liz. I'm like, ah, like he was supposed to be named Roy, right? And, named and I and I get that I kind sir. of like that. <laughs> it just I don't know. But isn't I, that a Cohen's move too? I mean, they're not subtle. Well, about to have their metaphors. Well, to all. have weird names, but they're not always like. Your name's Barton Fink. You know what I mean? They call you the dude. Why do they call you the dude? You know, it's just oh like, oh my god, no, you know? the dude, the Lebowski. There's so much name play in that. Well, like, yeah, that's the, the big versus. Play. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. Yeah. 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 I don't uh, know. It's a wash. I think it's. I think it's just like bartering and Cohen stuff. And I mean, I guess that's one thing I I I do want to keep talking about. Is like, what do we think? Kyle, you're right. The IP stuff is important to. To think about in terms of this well, well dude, I mean, the, this... The, the good the good the good case you could make for the importance of the names here is is i think you know what i was saying before about people playing out their stories right like mm-hmm. you know the, roy's character the john ham character he's like the fifth generation of roy tillman's or some shit like that right yeah and yeah, like yeah. so like that the it, fifth season of roy tillman's <laughs> he's so he's like uh you know like that that is the story he's told of himself and that he's told since his birth is the, mm-hmm. like who he is and what he has to do is to like you know stand on the line and protect the you know the county and his property from the federal intruders or whatever right mm-hmm. um and so i think you know in that way those then you know i think that these names there's a it's defensible that the that the names are like over the top both because i think it's an allegory and in allegory the names are important in how we understand Mm -hmm. the politics Mm -hmm. of the characters and the political meaning of the allegory and because i think it Mm -hmm. is not supposed it's supposed to be metadiegetically about like the characters un- understandings of who they are and whether of or not themselves. they can change yeah. right because the redemption yeah. themes mm. are are about whether or not each person can change right um mm-hmm. uh and you know but if it's if if we think of that things that the uh, part of the genre constraints of the cohen universe are that it's that unsubtle i think then they're not off the hook for some of these other really kind of problematic things about you know like Mm -hmm. if you're gonna not if you're gonna be that direct and unsubtle about the naming like the the sort Mm -hmm. of importance of names then you can't be at all subtle about the sort of horrible ways that that the that the death of the of uh, of uh of wit of the black cop plays into these these racist stereotypes you know you can't be uh, you can't be subtle at all about how like you know the underlying sets of of sins and debts uh, uh, of of American genocide of indigenous populations in in the Midwest and the wiping out of entire tribes uh, or near wiping out of entire tribes like that those you know I think the politics of that have to also be 
more direct. And it, that's why I think there's like an open question as to whether or not it's a good, you know, what, whether the politics of, of the series are, are good or not. I, I'm, I'm unconvinced at, on, on that question. Well, I don't think they're good. I don't think they're bad. Exactly. It's like heroes and villains. It's like there's like to expect a show to have like, you know. I, mean, I almost like don't want to watch a show. Yes, I, I know what you mean instinctively by good, but I think it's interesting that like that's the word we always happen to pick. You know, like does it yeah. have like good politics? It's like we just can't help ourselves from craving, you know, darkness and light. You know, like a, a mm. purity of something. The thing I, I will think it's say: got juicy politics. Yeah, right? yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. Really totally. juicy. It's it's totally. got it's got some and and I think that. Uh, I think that it is kind of, it is kind of incredible that we can all take from it something pretty different, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. kind of a rarity. Um, yeah. but it is, it is a clusterfuck. It's a juicy clusterfuck politically. I think the genre wise, the thing mm-hmm. that I actually had a bit of an epiphany watching this show, which is mm-hmm. that I'm like, I'm like, this isn't my genre reveal, but like Fargo, like, okay, if Fargo was the movie that five seasons of a show, five, um, what's it called when each season is a different, not serial series, limited limited. series, but like, uh, uh, not you know non chronological like totally separate sure. seasons yeah it's, sure and, and and I'm like okay what makes this the same as Fargo well mm-hmm. uh, Munch comes after uh, the one guy with an axe uh, right. th- there are there That's are reappearances of care it's Easter a lot of it is Easter eggs and I'm like yeah. oh the home invasion the initial home invasion the initial scene home invasion is scene very, Fargo. very yeah. similar. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, Fargo, like, this is what a genre is. What what mm-hmm. these TV shows. It's treating Fargo as a genre. It's treating Fargo as a genre. And I'm like, okay, this is what a genre is. It's certain types of characters. It's certain, mm-hmm. like, uh, flour- visual flourishes. It's certain, like, moves. And that, like, just very much clarified for me, like, mm-hmm. You know, genre versus theme, genre versus tone, that kind of stuff. I just like, I just, yeah. I thought that was a genre. Cool. A genre is mechanical. It's yes. It's, it's how you read a text, right? Right. It's right. giving you the rules by which you. Um, the the lens. Someone's maybe no, maybe the no lens. lenses. It gives you the <laughs> sure sure. But it, it teaches you the more and more, yeah. the more and more you uh, explore that genre, it teaches you more and more about how to interpret it, right? Mm-hmm. What to expect mm-hmm. of it, what not to expect of it. And I do think that is thinking about politics. Like, I don't think we are to expect of the Coens, like, you know, a great anti-capitalist. No, allegory, I mean, right? it's hard to expect I that of most things. But I think we do learn to expect some of this messiness like they are very messy and subversion and, for sure subversion and they're all about like a serious man is a great um example of this about really foregrounding questions without 
setting up any expectations that they can be answered. That's right? what makes their shit so rich. That's why people are going to keep coming back to them because it is like, yeah. it is messy. It is question filled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you about, oh yeah, sorry, Kyle. I wasn't, just to be clear, in its goodness or badness, I wasn't thinking that it would necessarily be an anti-capitalist allegory in order to be good i think it's Mm -hmm. i think it's a christian morality play and whether Mm -hmm. or not it's good by which i mean useful for an anti-capitalist and anti-state in my case an anarchist politics a liberatory politics uh Mm -hmm. is whether or not there's a way to make use of that christian morality play for our current contemporary political yes. situation, right? Totally, uh, and, totally. and and I, and I and I I think I I'm not convinced that you know I, <laughs> I I'm not convinced that it that it that this one can be made use of in that way. Though I think it is mm. calling for a jubilee, and maybe that's maybe that we're getting into the. I like that. Yeah. I mean, can you say more about that? Well, I also want to say, I want to make sure we're like, I know we're 15 minutes from your out, Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. So happy to let you talk about Jubilee or we can move into genre reveal whenever. Uh, They're they're kind of tied, I guess. I mean, okay. So uh, this idea of Jubilee comes from, you know, it's like, it's this, it's this ancient tradition in, uh, in Mesopotamia, but uh, but particularly in, in in it's in biblical texts a lot. It's this idea that yeah. uh, that debts like are every forgiven seven on years. a seven year cycle, um, yeah. uh, and that land is often redistributed. Um, it's also uh, you know Graeber explo- David Graeber, you know I've referred a few times here to it's a very fairly contentious book by David Graeber, debt the first five thousand years. You know, there's lots of um, like debate. Kyle's been listening it. to it like in a Delphi style, like he's been listening to it at two. Uh, two times. <laughs> yeah. oh, just trying to, like, like, oh my god, this book like, is like, uh, I, I read been... it like, you know, eight, no, 15 years ago or whatever when it came, 13 right. years ago when it came out. But... You read it? Yeah. Tuli was a baby. I, just, I just remember it very clearly. That was the book you were reading when to, right after Tuli was born. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a very Occupy book. It was, you know, um, mm-hmm. and this idea, and he was involved with Occupy Wall Street as an as an individual political actor and figure. Um, and, and one of the outcomes from the, particularly the New York, uh, yeah, OWS groups was this idea of the rolling jubilee, which which took up a a, a kind of you know a, a political plan of of student debt forgiveness, but also a number of strategies for forgiving medical debt, um, buying and mm. and uh, and and forgiving um, medical debts. Uh, so, do you think you know like a whole bunch of places in this in this in this season of Fargo um, seem to be referencing themes from that book. But in particular, I think the primary themes in the in the in the season are are cruelty and redemption. Cruelty and redemption is the title of uh, of of maybe the central chapter of, of Graeber's debt book. Um, mm. And and he begins that chapter with this idea of like um up till that point in the book, he's he's identified two myths by which he means untrue stories about as to the origins of money. One of which is the myth of barter, and the and the second one is the myth of primordial debt, which which is sort of loosely like the debt that we each owe to 
the cosmos or God or yeah, Jesus or the state, the debt we owe to society maybe at times, right? Which is un is both mm. true and untrue in the sense that we clearly do have a debt to everyone who who we've drawn from and and to our to everyone to you know to to the totality and it's also untrue that that debt that's debt which can be realized at a, as a at a uh, can be quantified right can be uh can be mm-hmm. paid off in any way right so um that that tension between those two forms of um those two myths uh, comes to bear for him in the figure of a co- of coinage, right? Like the original sort of forms of currency. Um, in the sense, uh, he, he quotes this guy um, Keith Hart, this anthropologist, as to the the status of money. You know, is money is is a coin a commodity for exchange, or is it an IOU for for to to mark a debt, right? Um, and Keith Hart, the anthropologist, tells. Um, it tells us that the the coin crucially has two sides. Um, the coin has a side which is marked by, like, typically in, in American coinage, by the head, which marks the the is uh, an, uh, is the marker of state authority and is thus a stand-in for the for for the for primordial debt, the debt that we all owe to the state and the states in uh, the states you know, uh, monopoly on violence, really, its ability, its unique ability mm. to reclaim that debt um, through through violence and through, you know, I don't know, capital punishment, other forms of, of state violence. And on the other hand, it's, uh, there's also the tail side of every coin in, in the sense that it, it has an exchange value, the value it can circulate at its sort of, you know, nominal price. Um, and I think that that, you know, well, Again, noting that you know the Anton Chigurh character makes his, these decisions of life and death yeah, based on the coin, coin flip. flips, right? Um, and 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 is refuted by the final character, and that you know the, the 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 she says no, it's your choice. And again, at the end of this this narrative, um, the Dorothy character tells uh, tells the Chigurh stand in here the uh, the the the. Monk. Monk character, you know that he has a choice. He can choose to to you know eat Christ and like whatever be uh you know filled with love and and joy. I don't think that's an individual choice so much as a, a political allegory for the way that uh, mm. that he, he, there is an option on the table of of jubilee of canceling debts. Right, mm. um, that can't that debt. That cancellation we could clearly see in terms of a, a financial allegory of the canceling canceling of student debts, canceling of of farm debts, which are you know politically contentious and and play into the politics of these right wing militias that are the ostensible you know uh, narrative content of of this of this season. Um, but I think also the sorts of you know much greater uh, you know maybe spiritual debts, moral debts that American society has which are are the absent presences in this mm-hmm. in this story in the, the sort of you know twin twin primary sins of america being race slavery that the figure you know who, which shows up here in the figure of uh of wit the black black cop who gets killed and the sort of the forms of of, of race, racism that we see there and the and the other primordial debt of america being uh, indigenous genocide and so what i think about the genre.
is that it is a kind of alleg. I'd say the genre is an allegory of America. No, you're not doing oh, the genre I'm reveal not right doing- now. We're not yes, doing that, sweetheart. <laughs> well, we're get- not at that point yet. We're okay. not. Okay, yeah. Okay, cool. I guess we are okay, at no, that point on, now because the, he was just get, he was cooking. He was he was he was cooking. He was going for it. I guess we're at that point in the show. <laughs> Let's do it. Here the we genre go. reveal. Let's do it. Don't, it's the genre don't, reveal now. Don't feel. Don't feel. I will. Come, come, come back out of your shell, Kyle. I, I seem to, to, yeah. to miss the genre of the genre of the Yeah, time. it's okay. It's okay. Why no. don't you t- do it. Why don't you tell us what your genre reveal is? I mean, I still think you guys need a show where the when the genres are, you have to like fight. Yeah, to the we death. know you yeah. can. But you learn the premise of the actual one before you give us the critique, dude. <laughs> What's your genre reveal? Uh, <laughs> okay, so I think it, I think the genre here is an allegory <laughs> of American cruelty and the redemptive politics of, of a debt jubilee. Um, uh-huh. But that the politics of that hinge on like. Uh, a jubilee for whom right so like it's mm-hmm. there's like that's it's limited in its idea of collectivity of like of who, for who, whose debts are being forgiven to some kind of fucked up version of of uh, of american citizenry or some sort of you know there's some sort of like idea of like of who's on the inside of this um and thus like that tends to exclude you know the, the very marginalized, the most marginalized characters that they're trying to make a kind of, you know, uh, that they generally are trying to 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 include. Um, so specifically, like Native American uh, tribes are like don't seem to factor into this the, into this uh, the the politics mm-hmm. of this debt jubilee, and uh, and black people don't seem to f- figure into this debt jubilee. They're seen as not fully mm-hmm. human in the in the narrative universe of the of the of Fargo. Hmm. And you want us to fit all of that on a placard in the video store under the genre? Yeah, yeah. No, just yeah, allegory so. of American cruelty and the redemptive politics of a debt okay. jubilee. That's the genre. Oh, Before okay. I- before you get we get into the I, I just wanna add something I was gonna say before the genre reveal, which is like I think that Fargo is a it's a genre, but it's also a system, right? Okay. Say and more. it's a system that individual actors within it might be privileged or redeemed or or harmed or things like that, but it, it is always happening at that character by character level right mm-hmm. and the system itself is is not to be overcome right like um that it mm-hmm. in some ways it includes thinking at that systemic level that i think kyle's mm-hmm. seeing as it's more like potentially and perhaps unconscious like revolutionary horizon of the show or something mm-hmm. like that it as a but, system blinds you to the actual other systems yeah it's like it's a system or it's a game right that Mm -hmm. i mean they refer to games throughout the season two right um so it's a matter of like positionality and and never like there's never a kind of collective possibility within it 
Yes. Um, I feel yes. like that that's a, that's the major flaw politically is that there that one moment with Munk it it's just happening at the, in this isolated level, right? And um it, it is inspiring, but there isn't a sense that it could be it could happen in a broad in broader terms. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, so when you guys you name the you named the season we don't need another hero and that seems to speak to the like there's a we there that has some some, some collectivity and that that's that's maybe what's absent from from the system the 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 Cohen system there's there's like mm. there's a bunch of actors there's a bunch of sort of you know I think that is a here. huge I think it's a bit to me it feels like a very Gen Xy. <laughs> sort of sort of reflection of the Coens and why initially the Coens resonated with me so much as like an artsy mm-hmm. individual artist type was like yeah this is, you, you can myth- self mythologize all you want so yeah i think i think absolutely Coens missing a we is one of their biggest um biggest like Problems. flaws yeah all right, I'm going to give mine because yeah. we got the clock. Well, and also now that Kyle's given his genre reveal, we can fucking we can we can rip his theories apart when he well, I'll, when I'll, he I'll sign off call. and you can Bye. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can stay on until until whenever you need to uh um, to go, Kyle. But uh yeah, Madeline, mine what's is your succinct. Genre? It's okay. just true crime fairy tale. Mm, okay. I like that. Mine right. is even mine is a one word. Got a one Ooh. word. Yeah, it is. It is a it is a a, a criticism of the show's feminism as well Ooh. as a Nightmare Before Christmas reference, and nice. so and it and it has a specific spelling. So okay. the genre is boogeymen. Uh, I don't know if you remember the Nightmare Before Christmas, but like oh, yeah. when I was in college and rewatched it. I was like the boogeyman scene. I mean, I was also robo tripping at the time, but the boogeyman <laughs> scene was so terrifying. I'm like, this shit is, is horrifying. And there's and they literally it's say rapey too. Probably, yeah. They say they have a lot yeah. of like boogeymen in this. They actually say the word like boogeyman in this show. Uh-huh. But it, so it's boogeymen, but the M E N is capitalized. So it's boogeymen. Mm. That's my that is my show. It's not. It's not 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 all boogeymen. Not it's or? no. That would be the that would be the uh, the misogynist version. Yeah. 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 It, yeah okay, this is okay, the okay. this is the Jennifer Jason Lee boogeymen uh, genre. I oh men. Yeah, just like men boogeymen. Of course, it's a boogeyman. Putting the man back to um, men there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that's I, I like so that's my genre. The other thing that we could that I just wanted to mention that I realized watching the movie as well is like, dude, is it about chili movies? Well, oh, dude, we we got to talk about. I got to talk it's about chili movies we work at, on some, at, some point. at some point. Yeah. Chili movies. It, maybe that is season four. Oh. Is is chili movies? All uh, chili movies. Yeah. Is um <laughs> is the none of this shit happens in Fargo. Even in even the movie Fargo, it's all in Brainerd. Mm-hmm. This is all in San oh, yeah. Santia, whatever. Yeah. So it's just like the fact that it that Fargo is a hole at the center of the donut of all the Fargos is mm. also like. I mean, we could. Uh, that's why I wanted to mention it. It's, it seasons. brings up way too much 
to to talk about because it's such a Minnesota focused show. But Fargo's in fucking North Dakota. You know what I mean? It's just like yeah, there's a lot to talk about there. there. And all the prestige signifiers of this show were like, sometimes I was fine with them. Sometimes they were a little too much for me, but, um, that's, that, those, that's, that's the, the rest of my dance card in terms of things to mention for this. I I was stoked to talk about this one. Um, Kyle, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the assignment and thanks for joining us, Kyle. And I just got to say my sweetie, uh, I'll just be like, you're going to sit down and watch this show with me and you have to trust that you'll like it. And I just appreciate that. Oh yeah. Kyle is always down. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Always down to watch something. Yeah. I did make chili, uh, actually too. So that's when I I was making, I was testing chili. I was (laughs) testing if Fargo (laughs) is a chili movie. Yes. Which is a different uh, chili movies chili. is a different conversation. It's a project of mine that's a different conversation. Yeah. Oh, I thought if you, you might wanna, chili like cold it. because it's fucking cold. No, dude. No, no, no. Chill, no. Movies to make and eat chili too. Ah. It's on my letterbox. And then you eat it. Yeah. Follow me on Letterboxd at Dave Marr. Follow the show at Genre Reveal Pod on Instagram or Twitter. Email us at genre reveal party at gmail.com. If you listen on Apple. Drop a review. Give us five stars. We like hearing nice Apple. things about. We need five, yes. not four. Five, five, and we need comments that do not include the word lens. <laughs> That's right. So, okay, I think we're we're over we're over time. Thank you, Kyle. Thank yeah, you yeah. All thanks for, for having me. On. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with the uh, with the finale, season two finale. Heck yeah! All right.